So this morning, I want to take a look at what should motivate us. What should motivate us to be people who evangelize? You know, so what should motivate us to not just treat evangelism as kind of just a duty that we have to perform, but actually be people who have a strong desire and enthusiasm to evangelize? So I'll start with this. Who has heard of Charles Spurgeon? Who's heard? Who knows about Charles Spurgeon? The guy with one of the best beards ever. Uh, Spurgeon was a famous English preacher and pastor throughout the latter half of the 19th century. Um, By the end of his life, it was estimated that he preached nearly 3,600 sermons and that he spoke to about 10 million people, not including those people even today who read much of his sermons and his other published works. He was known back then as the Prince of Preachers. Uh, And obviously, he spent a lot of time proclaiming the gospel to lots of different people. But here's something he wrote about evangelism. And buckle up, because it hits you in the face. I think it does anyway. This is what Charles Spurgeon said about evangelism. He said, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. The saving of souls, if a man has once gained love to perishing sinners and his blessed master, will be an all-absorbing passion to him. It will so carry him away that he will almost forget himself in the saving of others. He will be like the brave fireman who cares not for the scorch or the heat, so that he may rescue the poor creatures on whom true humanity has set its heart. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies, And if they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there, unwarned and unprayed for. Pretty pretty full on, yeah? Especially, it's a challenging statement. I mean, especially that first line, yeah? It really catches you, I think. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Imagine big bearded fella telling you that. Uh, but here Spurgeon is not, he's not saying there that evangelism, that our, our efforts in evangelism actually contribute to our own salvation. That's not what he's saying here. But what, what he's trying to say is if we truly understand salvation, if we truly understand what it means to be saved, so if we've truly experienced that in our own lives for ourselves, if we know that truth, how can we possibly therefore go out and live in a way where that salvation is not something that we just can't help but share with others? That we can't desire for others to know that amazing salvation instead of a life that will perish. Please see here that, like I mentioned earlier, our motivation to proclaim the good news, even when we read that quote, I think a bit of guilt comes in, yeah, sometimes. But our motivation to proclaim the good news, our motivation to do that, even at our own risk, it's not out of guilt, it's not out of some kind of dutiful adherence. No, our motivation to evangelize, so our motivation to obey God's command, to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, to share the good news, it begins here with one thing. It begins with love. The motivation is love. And today, as we look at 2 Corinthians 5, we see Paul make this very clear. 
ultimately our evangel our, our motivation to evangelize cannot be from guilt or even some kind of dutiful adherence. It actually has to be motivated, has to begin with love. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, throughout 2 Corinthians, he's been explaining his ministry. He's been defending his ministry. Uh, and in chapter 5, verse 14, he shows what motivates him to continue sharing the gospel no matter the consequences. Take a look at verse 14. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So first thing up here, we see that evangelism is motivated by Christ's love for us. That's the first love that motivates us. Evangelism is motivated by Christ's love for us. Paul says there that it is Christ's love that compels him, that motivates him to keep on doing what he's doing, to tell people about Jesus. How does that motivate him? Well, as he explains there, he's motivated by Christ's love. He's compelled by Christ's love because he knows what Christ's love has done for him. Look at verses 14 to 17. We see further his description of what has happened to himself, to those people he knows who experience the effects of Christ's love in their life. Look at verses 14 to 16. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view that we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You see, what Paul is saying here is that the, the gospel itself, a gospel of Christ's sacrificial love, is what first and foremostly should motivate us to proclaim the gospel to others. Why? Because we have experienced the effect of Christ's love in our own lives, haven't we? Look at what it means for Paul. Look at what it means for all Christians who have experienced the effects of Christ's love. It says here that out of love, he died for all. And when that happens, he makes it very clear, our lives are changed forever. Our old life stops indeed, he's saying that. We stop living our old lives, our old lives controlled by flesh, controlled by sin. Lives that were dead in our own sin. He says that stopped because we realized who Christ was. He was Lord of our lives. I mean, think about Paul's own life. It says there that he used to regard Christ from a worldly point of view. What view was that? He used to think Christ was a heretical teacher, a bit of a loony in a sect. It was out to get him. But now Paul knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the king who had indeed died for him, the king who had then gone and risen to eternity. And because of Christ's love, because of all that, what did it mean for Paul? What does it mean for all who trust in Jesus? We'll get to the climax here in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You see, Christ's love for us should compel us, it should motivate us to share the good news about him. Why? Because Christ's love for you and me, it isn't just words like when I say to someone, I love you. That's not what Jesus is doing here. 
Christ's love isn't just a nice sentiment. It's not just a, a feeling, a loving feeling towards somebody, is it? No, Christ's love, we see, has the power, the only power to save. Christ lovingly sacrificed himself in your place. See, when we realize, when we rejoice in the fact that we are loved by God, and that love is a love that took Jesus to the cross for me and you, when we realize that there is no greater love than the love Christ shows us, you know, that, that is a love that took us from lost to found, that, that is a love that took us from dead to alive. When we realize and experience that love, how can we not want others to hear about that and experience that for themselves? That greatest love ever. So that's the first thing. We, we see that evangelism, evangelism is motivated by Christ's love for us. That is what drives us because we personally know just how good this good news is that we're proclaiming. But secondly, we see that evangelism is also motivated by our love for Christ. It's a response. Evangelism is motivated by our love for God. Now, take a look at verses 18 and 19, particularly look at how Paul talks about things. He says, All this is from God who... Oh, sorry. Hmm. I think I missed a slide, sorry. Uh, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So I want, I want you to see here this morning, there's a lot in there, but please see that Paul here, when he, when he describes what's happening, he, he's very clear in describing how the gospel works, how it happens, how this reconciliation happens between God and people. He, and he makes it very clear, it's very simple, but he makes it very clear that it's actually God at work. We know that, don't we? By grace. It is God who starts reconciliation. It is God who brings reconciliation, he says there. It is God who is in control. So what Paul is saying here is there's no doubt in his mind, and it's elsewhere where he writes in Scripture, there's no doubt in his mind that God, therefore, deserves all the glory, all the honour for the reconciliation that is brought about through Christ, through the Gospel. So as we read much of Scripture, we see that people like Paul continue in their gospel proclamation. They continue no matter the risks. They continue no matter, no matter the consequences. They continue no matter the people they're talking to, whether they're people they love, people they like, people they don't. Why? Because first and foremost, they love Christ. Because they understand that He is the one who deserves their love. He is the one who is worthy of all love. He's the one who's worthy of all obedience. He's worthy of all our worship. And evangelism is a way that we worship God. It's a way that He calls us to worship Him. One way we show our love and our trust in Him. In fact, it is a central way for us to love and serve God. Um, one thing that I, I love to see in, in the kids and the youth in this church 
is when they begin uh, recalling Scripture for themselves. When it moves from something that can often be talked at them to something they understand and can recall in their own minds and in their own hearts. And I saw it on Friday, just two days ago. I used to be a teenage boy, right? Teenage boys don't always speak a lot. A bit of grunting goes on at youth group too, just like it probably does in the home. But there was, on Friday night, there was some great discussion and there was some really deep thinking and, and deep things said on Friday night amongst the boys. And then during that, I got, personally, I got such great joy when one, and I won't embarrass them by naming them, but they simply started quoting parts of Scripture. And when, I'm, when I say that, I mean chapter, verse, the whole thing. Uh, we, were, we were talking about a lot of things. We were talking about serving God, and he could see the answer very clearly in Scripture. And he quoted, um, of his own bad, he quoted Paul from the beginning of Romans. And I think it's absolute gold for us today. Romans chapter 1, verse 9. Paul's describing his ministry, and he says simply this, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son. It's that clear. We proclaim the gospel, we evangelize because it is the way that we are to serve God. So Paul is saying for him, look at look at how he phrases this. this for Paul, this is no dutiful service. Or it's not a surface level obedience for him, is it? It's passionate service. You see there it's service out of Love for God. Because he says there, I serve in my spirit by preaching about the Son, the gospel. So I'll say thank you to that young man who gave me such joy when he quoted scripture. But also you can thank them. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but you can thank them later because he kind of shortened my message by about five minutes too. (laughs) Because I read over what I said and I'm like, no, that's heaps better. How much clearer can we see it than that? That our motivation for evangelism, listen very carefully when I say this, our motivation for evangelism does not begin with a love for the lost. It doesn't begin with that. Yes, it involves that. In fact, that's our next point. But it has to be firstly and foremostly, it has to be driven by our love for God. We proclaim the gospel to people because we love Christ. Because we know that he is worthy of our obedience. Because he is worthy of the glory we give him when we go out and we proclaim his good news. I like the way John Piper talks about it. He says this. He says, he says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So what, what he's saying is the ultimate aim of God's people is not missions, it's not evangelism. As Christians, our lives are actually, our ultimate aim is to worship God, love Him, give Him glory. And yes, when we go out and evangelize, as we've just seen in Romans, when we go out and evangelize, we do that as an act of worship, of love to Him. But we also do it because we know that God is worthy, not just of my worship, but of everybody else's. God is worthy of everyone's love. We want others like ourselves to love him. We want others like ourselves to see his worthiness. You know, we want others, just as we sung earlier, to to throw down their own crowns 
and crown him Lord of love, Lord of life, Lord of all. Um, but as I, as I did mention earlier, there's another key motivation for us to evangelise. Yes, because Christ has loved us. So because we have, we have ourselves been evangelised and now we know of his amazing love for us. And yes, as we've just seen, because we love Christ. Because we want to worship him. And we know that he is worthy to be loved and worshipped by other people. But finally, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we should be motivated to evangelise because of our love for the lost. We should be motivated to evangelise because of our love for the lost, just like Jesus himself has a love for the lost, including me. So we see it, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I think it's easy when we read the Bible sometimes to not see the passion that's probably meant to come through there. I hope to see the passion. Paul is pleading here. He knows the love of Christ. He worships the God who has saved him. He loves God. And he so dearly wants to see others reconciled to God. He says there, I implore you. I implore you. That's what we are doing. We, we see people, we have a love for people, and we go, I implore you, have a love for the Lord. Have a, have a love for God. And like Paul, we are to be people who have a love for those who are lost. A love for those who do not yet see the new life that they can experience in Christ. I, I mean, think about it this way. So often we hear of the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Sorry? Sounded sound like teenage boys just then. Whoever has the money makes the rules. Alrighty. <laughs> That's one golden rule. Okay. What's a, what's a better golden rule? <laughs> okay. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Love your neighbor. And we know that that golden rule, it's really straight from Scripture, isn't it? I think it gets twisted sometimes, but it's certainly straight from Scripture. We go back to Jesus' words himself. Mark 12, he says this. We, we should know it quite well. He says, the important, he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we're to love God, but then it says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. It's something we all hear a lot of. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what does that actually look like? What should it look like for Christians to love your neighbor as yourself? To love your neighbor the way you want to be shown love. Well, as Christians... I think there's an easy answer here, isn't there? What is, what is the best love that we have ever known and experienced? Her? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? The salvation he brings us in love. The good news that, that Christ lovingly died for me, that he's given me new eternal life, one that I don't deserve. We read it. The old is gone, the new is here. I am the new creation in Christ. That's the greatest love you and I can experience. And so really, the greatest way that I can show love 
to my neighbor is to, is to point them towards the same love. Jesus, yeah? The greatest way I can show love to my neighbor is to show them where they, the lost, can be found. Where they, the dead, can become alive. To point to the, to the loving shepherd who, who we see. What does the loving shepherd do? A love greater than mine, a love greater than yours. He's the one who leaves the 99 and goes in search of the one. Goes in search of them to rescue them. And so as Christ's ambassadors, as, as Christ's representatives, we have the privilege to share with people a love that cannot be bettered. A love that has the power to reconcile them with God for eternity. So friends, be evangelize. Why, sorry, <clears throat> why do we evangelize? Uh, because Christ's love compels us. Because of our love for him our desire to see all worship him and our love for the lost. So let me repeat those challenging words, but I hope you don't walk away in guilt, but rather thinking, how do I show my love for God and my love for the lost? Let me finish with this. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. The saving of souls, if a man has once gained love, to perishing sinners and his blessed master will be an all-absorbing passion to him. It will so carry him away that he will almost forget himself in the saving of others. He'll be like the brave fireman who cares not for the scorch or the heat so that he may rescue the poor creature on whom true humanity has set its heart. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish... Let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Now we, are, we are children of the promise, as we're about to sing. The beloved of the Lord, the loved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, bought with sacrifice.